Man, if, you, um, if you've been around for maybe the last year or so at Bethany, you may know some of the stories of some of the little ones that were just up here, some of the miracles that God has done in the lives of parents in giving them kids and in, in bringing them the ability to have children and providing and protecting and keeping them safe after they were born. There are a lot of great things that God has done in these families' lives, and it's such a joy to be able to celebrate that this morning. And Uh, I wanted to take this opportunity on an occasion like this that is filled with joy to point our attention toward God's intention for our families. Perhaps the way that people parent can sometimes betray a bit of a misunderstanding about the purpose of parents and families, what they're for, why God has given families. Maybe you're familiar with some of the stereotypes that parents have in our culture. You're familiar with some of the ways that we typically think of different kinds of parents. There are the helicopter parents. We all know what those are, right? They're always hovering around trying to make sure that their little one doesn't ever get hurt, doesn't have a little boo-boo, trying to protect them from every bad name that they could might be called or every emotional little hurt that they might have. They live with the misconception that they can keep their children from pain. Then there are the hippie parents. These are easy to identify. Their children aren't wearing shoes. They're somewhat similar to the laissez-faire parents. These are the ones that think that their kid is so cute, everything their kid does is cute, and we're all thinking, wow, these children are annoying. They seem to think that the kids will just kind of raise themselves, and their parenting philosophy is, oh, they're just kids, just let them be, they're just kids. Then there's a a more recent parenting type, you might call this the quiet quitter. This is a parent that has just given up They're no longer putting in the effort. They can be found in a room by themselves, hiding, scrolling through Instagram. They're continuing, they're counting down the days on their phone until graduation, just 16 more years, and then I'm done with this. That's what they're doing. They're the quiet quitter. They've let selfishness overshadow the meaning of family. Maybe you're not a parent at all. You you may be a child yourself. You might be a teen. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're an aunt or you're an uncle. Whatever your stage in in life or your role in the life of your family, you can contribute to a lasting legacy for your family and for the family of God. And this morning, I want to look at some passages from God's word that show us how to establish lasting legacies in our families. And the simple idea is this, you can establish a lasting legacy for your family. Here's how you do that. You begin by shaping your family's worldview with the word of God. Parents, this starts with you. You're the leaders here. Laissez-faire, hands-off parenting is not God's plan for your family. Yes, each child is different in terms of their personalities. Each child is different in terms of their interests. Yes, in one sense we look on and we watch the development of our children to see how their interests will take shape and how they're going to blossom in their personalities and who they're going to become. But this is not a hands-off process. And God has structured the family in such a way that parents don't just look on helplessly, but they actively shape their children into something. I want you to read Psalm 127 with me. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. 
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Parents, it's your job to actively shape the lives of your children and to intentionally point them toward God and his purposes for them. The heading of Psalm 127 says that it was a psalm of ascents. This means that it was likely recited or sung as people would make their way up to worship in the temple of Jerusalem, which was also known as the house of the Lord. And it was situated on a hill. It was surrounded by valleys, so whatever way you came, you had to go up to the house of the Lord. And this psalm is an explicit reminder that even that house The very temple of God was built in vain if it was done merely as a construction project or for for pride, apart from God's will and his direction. But there are many other houses to which this psalm could refer that kind of fit the bill that the author of the psalm may have been referring to. He may have had family and the house that you're building, not in terms of the, the brick and mortar, but the family that you're building in mind as well. He, he has your, your legacy as a family in mind. Unless the Lord builds your house, you labor in vain. And countless people struggle to build something and tell themselves along the way that they're doing it for their family. They work hard to build a business, to accumulate wealth, to make sure their kids do well academically or that they excel in some kind of sport. But how often do their houses crumble because they have left God out of the picture and they've not sought his will? How often does divorce or distance between parents and kids uh, created by absence in their lives or the temptations and pleasures of this world come in to a house, a household, and wreak havoc on that house because it was built on sand? And even if the house stands and the family remains together and everyone appears successful and satisfied, the kids often abandon their faith and therefore they abandon eternal life with God because their house was not built by the Lord, it wasn't built with his blessing. When faced with challenges to building your house, your family, your legacy, many people, perhaps especially men, will see the difficulties that exist and think to themselves, well, I'll just work harder I'll put in more time, I'll put in more effort, I'll stay up late and I'll get up early. Good for you. Hard work is good. But verse 2 tells us that even your hard work is in vain without God. Some people work so hard that they do not rest in the Lord and they're absent from the fabric of their family's life and the life of their kids. Their hard work turns out to be slavery to something that can never fulfill them, never build their families and can never satisfy them. And they miss out on building what should be their primary legacy, the next generation, because they're busy building their reputation, their job, or something else. Even Socrates, the Greek philosopher, recognized the folly of this situation when he said, fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth and take so little care for your children to whom you will one day relinquish it all? If you're building, if your house project, if your house building is just done for wealth, or if it's all based on your own hard work, then it will be fruitless. It will be in vain. And verse 3 reminds us that children are a gift from God. This means that children are the future of the house that God wants you to build. And it also teaches us that we are responsible to God for our children since they are a gift from Him. They're not an accident. 
whether you meant to have them or not, you're answerable to God for your kids. And you will see in verse 4 why I've given parents this morning arrows and, and, and told them to, to aim their kids. Because kids are like arrows, Psalm 127.4 tells us. We should ask, how are kids like arrows? And there are several ways. Arrows have to be directed. Arrows don't knock themselves. That means they don't put themselves on the string. They don't draw themselves. They don't aim themselves. They don't fire themselves. This is the responsibility of the archer. And so it is with children. They don't raise themselves. And I don't mean that only in the sense of providing food or shelter or clothing. I mean that the idea that children should simply pursue their own desires, their own interests, without the direction of their parents is like saying that an arrow can hit its target if it's just left to itself. It will not. And God did not give you children for that purpose either. And there seems to be a notion in our culture and in our society that children, if they're just left alone, will kind of raise themselves. That they'll learn what's right and wrong, that they'll take care of themselves, they'll, they'll learn good from evil, and, and they'll develop good character if they're just left to themselves. Nothing could be further from what the Word of God tells us the purpose of family is. The image of this arrow conveys le legacy and intention. An arrow allows an archer to extend his or her will over a long range. No children are not given to you merely for the accomplishment of your own desires as if you can live vicariously through them. That's not what I'm talking about. But imagine with me for a moment that like Abraham, when God called him, God has a purpose for your family that extends beyond one generation. Imagine with me that God has not called you to salvation and given you a family just so you can say, I got my ticket to heaven, I'm set. What if like Abraham, God has called you to leave in your family a legacy that lasts from generation to generation and doesn't even just affect your kids or your grandkids, but affects many, many people outside of your own family because God has set you up for that purpose. He's given you that intention. He has called you to make that legacy. What if he's called you? What if he wants you and your children and your grandchildren to be a part of a legacy that points people to him, that serves his church, that builds wealth to give generously and be a blessing, to carry out the work that he's called you to do for multiple generations. That doesn't happen by accident, but it happens as you, as a parent, have a vision for God's plans. This doesn't mean that you force your kids into a particular line of work or something like that. It means that you're aiming your kids toward godliness and toward God's purposes for them in their lives. Imagine if the next generation of kids in this church, those 20 that were here this morning and the others who are currently at Super Church right now or who are here on Wednesdays in Royal Rangers or in girls ministry, imagine that the next generation of this church 
was not raised with the worldly notions of our generation, that they should find themselves, that they should choose their identity, but what if they were raised with the conviction that God created them for a purpose and will reveal that purpose as they seek him and serve him and that they should diligently pursue that purpose for their lives? Imagine the impact of a generation of students that they could have if they were not taught the junk that many of us were taught as we were raised by parents or educators or entertainment that had no ultimate vision for our lives. It's as if some people think you'll leave children like an arrow lying on the ground and it'll find itself. Arrows don't find themselves. They have to be pointed and directed and drawn back and then shot out into the purpose God has for them. And for many in our generation, and maybe this was true in your life, parent, that you were left to figure out what's my purpose. And nobody ever looked at you and said, God made you and he has a purpose for you. And if you will serve him and you will seek him, he'll reveal that purpose in your life. You'll discover what your meaning is. You'll discover that your meaning is to know him and to serve him. And he'll give you the details as you follow him step by step. What if as a generation in our church, we decided we're not gonna let the next generation be raised like many of us were, left on the ground like an arrow without direction or meaning, and told you'll figure it out, find your own identity, choose your own adventure. But we put them on the string and we drew them back and we aimed, and when the time was right, we let them go, that they might hit the target that God decided for them beforehand. What if we learned to let them fly without fear, but with confidence that God has led us as we've directed them? Parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, guardian, how do you do that? You begin with the conviction that it is your place, and it is your responsibility. God gave them to you for this purpose. Did you hear that? It is your responsibility. The world will tell you that it is the responsibility of the education system, or you can put them in front of Disney Plus, or something else like that, and that will train them up and teach them morality, and what it means to be good, and what beauty is, and what righteousness is. That's what the world is trying to convince you of. Parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, guardian, ranger leader, girls ministry leader, Sunday school teacher. Let me tell you something. That is not the way that God designed family, whether it's the family at home or it's the family at church. He designed that we would understand that we have been placed in kids' lives to be responsible for them, that they might know they have a purpose before God, that he created them in Christ Jesus for good works before the world, that they might learn to walk in them, and who will teach them to walk in those good purposes? We will. We will. That's why God has put us here. That's why he's told us what our responsibility is. God gave them to you for this purpose. And then once you've decided in your heart, God gave me these kids. He put me in their lives for this purpose. Then you make sure you live your life according to God's purposes for you to the best of your ability. And while you're at it, you don't relinquish your responsibility to raise up your child to a school system or to a phone. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall put them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, it is our responsibility to set the parameters for how our kids view life. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is not telling us to teach our kids a few verses about how they can feel good about themselves because of Jesus. That's not the point. The point is, tell them what the world is really like and how it actually works. Teach them what is true and show them how God intends them to live. Neither children nor the environments in which they live are neutral. I appreciate how Eugene Peterson translated Proverbs 22:15 in the message. He said this, young people are prone to foolishness and fads. The cure comes through tough minded discipline. Some of you may be familiar with an older translation that says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Discipline is not the same thing as punishment. Discipline involves establishing good patterns and the right worldview. Early last week after we ate dinner, we were sitting at the table and I asked my kids if they thought that the fish in our aquarium knew that they were swimming in water. They concluded that they probably did not know that they were swimming in water. They can't distinguish the water from anything else, the atmosphere, the air, because, well, they don't know anything else. They've only ever been in the water. And as far as they can see us outside their tank, they probably think that we're swimming in the water as well. And so that's their entire worldview. They think that it's a water world, and they don't know anything different. Your kids are immersed in a worldview as well. And as parents, we do what we can to try to curate and to control what our kids are exposed to, but we can only do so much to limit what they're gonna see and what they will eventually discover. And in addition to attempting to protect them, we need to take the next step and shape their worldview. And in the passage we read from Deuteronomy a moment ago, the idea is not to quote a few inspirational scriptures for them so they have better self-esteem. That's not what the author is talking about. The command of God is that we would actively teach truth to our children, helping them to form a worldview shaped by God's word as an alternative to what they will learn in the world. We're supposed to present a different vision for what life is really like, for what normal is, for what good is than the world does, and help them to develop patterns that will help them live that good, godly worldview. And this has to start with you, parents. You put God's word in your heart. You read it. You take it seriously. You study it. You memorize it. You meditate on it. You mull over it over and over again. You put it on your forehead. That is, you learn to think about it and see the world as God intends you to see it through his word. You put it on your hands, and you remember that whatever you do, you do it for the Lord in the name of Jesus. Then you write it on your doorposts and your gates so that you see it coming and you see it going. And you're reminded in your house and in your legacy that these things are not just built by your own hands or your own good intentions, but they are built as you surrender to the Lord and you intentionally invite him into the work of building future generations and building your legacy. And then you teach your kids to do the same thing. You talk about the word of God. You talk about his ways and his commands when you get up and when you eat and before bed and when you're taking a walk and when you're playing and if you're saying to yourself we don't have any time to do that there's always something going on then you make the time 
then you pull it from something else that is less important because your house will not be built by the sporting activity or by the social clubs or by the events. Your house will be built as you take the initiative and the responsibility God has given you as a parent to say, this is the priority. And we will compromise other things, but we will not compromise how God has given me the responsibility to teach you his word as we come and we go and we eat and we sit and we rise and we walk and we play together. You point your kids. You point your grandkids, your nieces and your nephews and the kids in your Sunday school class or in the rangers or girls class that you teach. You point them to Jesus and you teach them to follow Jesus by framing their worldview around the word of God and Jesus is that word. He's the living word of God. Parents, unbeknownst to your kids and far too often unrecognized by us, the world is trying to put a worldview in place in your kids' lives. It's a way that seems right. It sounds good, but it leads away from Christ and it ends in death. And you're not powerless in this fight. And this is not a secondary work that you do, less important than what you find to do at your job or in your church. This is your house this is our house. We're gonna be a little bit more like Dikembe Mutombo. You remember him? This is my house, not in my house. Remember him, the shot blocker? Never mind. All right. You watch more basketball. And God will not leave us to build our house alone. He builds the house as we trust in Him. Remember, the house is built in vain if it's not built by the Lord. So what I'm telling you to do is not to say, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do more. What I'm telling you to do is to submit your work to the Lord. Submit your plans to him. Pray over them. Pray over your children. Put his word in your heart and then live according to his word. And as you do that, the house that you're building, the family you're building, the legacy that you're building, not only for this generation but for future generations, will be built by the Lord. And as we teach the next generation, there will be difficulties, there will be hardships, there will be pushback from the world. There will be kids who give you as much attitude as they can muster. But as you build your house with the Lord, by the Lord, your house in this church will be built on a sure, stable foundation. Shape how your family views the world with the Word of God. That's where building your legacy for your family begins. Establishing a lasting legacy for your family is primarily the work of parents, but that doesn't mean that children are left out. And so if you're a child still at home under your parents' roof, maybe you're in elementary school or you're in middle school, high school, maybe you're in college, maybe you've finished up college and you're just you know, enjoying the free rent, I want to talk to you for a minute, okay? Listen to Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. And it's a bit repetitious. And that's for a reason. So I want you, as I read, to pay close attention to what's going on in Proverbs 4, 1 to 9. Listen to this. It says this. Hear, O sons, and that would also include daughters, hear a father's instruction and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you do, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. 
She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And when you first read this advice, it doesn't sound that helpful, if I'm being honest. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. What am I supposed to do with that? That's a little circular, don't you think? The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. If I don't have wisdom already, and your only advice is get it, you should tell me how, not just do it. But the more I've thought about this passage and passages like it in the Proverbs, the more I've come to appreciate how profound it is. Because wisdom is not just a collection of sayings or advice. It's not sounding smart or talking in riddles. Wisdom is an attitude. It's an awareness of where to get knowledge and understanding that you don't already have. Let me give you an example. The example I want to show you today is probably one you're familiar with. You've probably done it, and you've probably been on the receiving end of it. If you're a parent of a teenager, it is the typical teenage eye roll. How many of you have ever seen that? Come on, be honest. How many of you have ever seen the typical teenage eye roll? You've had your teenager give this to you. And, and it usually happens when a parent or a grandparent or an authority is offering instruction, counsel, or discipline that that child does not want to hear. And it's intended to communicate that the parent is backward thinking, repressive, or maybe an old fuddy-duddy, right? And it's, it's, it's usually followed by a cold shoulder and stomping off out of the room. And while its intent is to communicate superiority and independence, what it actually communicates is arrogance and ignorance because you think you know better than people who've been around a lot longer than you have. So when the Proverbs tell us, get wisdom, they're teaching us an attitude of humility a willingness to listen, and a desire to grow that exceeds our desire to be right. And this is part of why the Bible gives us this command. It says this in Ephesians 6, 1-3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. The Bible doesn't command you to obey your parents, to honor your father or your mother because God has a backward view of the world that emphasizes authority and power over your rights and your independence. But it emphasizes this because it knows, because God knows that we grow through experience and through relationship with him and because God has commanded your parents to help you develop an accurate worldview. And it commands us this because God knows that people are rebellious in nature. And he knows this because we rebel against him. We tend most often to give him the teenage eye roll. We roll our eyes at his commands, pretend that he's not there, try to walk away from him, but he has continuously sought us and he paid the price for that rebellion when he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, and he did this so that we could be forgiven and we could know his love. And those who have believed in Jesus are now called children of God. And so we are also placed under authority that we might grow and become as we should. And God commands parents to help their children develop a worldview in which they can see that they too can become children of God by trusting Jesus. So children, obey your parents in the Lord is not a command to obey because God hates you or because he thinks that older people are inherently better or that they're always right. He says children, obey your parents because he's first commanded that your parents would teach you to know him. And when you obey your parents, even when you don't understand, 
Even when you disagree, even when, when you, you think you're right, when you will humble yourself and listen and do, you're doing that for the Lord because your parents, if they're believers in Jesus, are trying to help shape you and form a godly worldview. And when that happens, you're adding to a legacy of God's blessing in your family. You should listen to wisdom, not to your friends and not to your heart. Young person, let me talk to you for just a moment because so often we fall into fads in our lives and we are so consumed with what others think of us that we will that we will give up what we know is right because of what other people were saying to us. Can I share some wisdom with you for a moment? If you're a young person, you have friends, and they're telling you something in your life that's different than your parents, think about the actions of your friends and the consequences of their actions for a minute. Can you admit with me, like my friends were in high school, that your friends do some dumb stuff? Right? Can you just admit that? that sometimes your friends... They do dumb stuff, and it ends up poorly for them. Can you, can you admit that? Now let me ask you, why would you seek the wisdom of somebody who has no more life experience than you do, and who does the same stupid stuff that you often do, and you ask them to give you wisdom to go against your parents, whom God has placed in your life to help you to understand your purpose, your meaning, and your direction? Why would you get wisdom from them? And what about your heart? So often we're told by entertainment, by our friends, our peers, by music, follow your heart, do what's in your heart. But the scripture tells us this, that our hearts are deceitful. We read a moment ago that foolishness is bound up or is tied up in our hearts when we're children. That as young people, we're too often easily led away by our friends and by fads. And we're foolish. And the Bible doesn't mean mean that as a condemnation of young people. It means it as instruction. And so when the scripture says, get wisdom, listen, young person, for just a moment. When the scripture says, get wisdom, what it's saying to you in your life is this. Will you make it your goal to have an attitude that says, I'm going to listen to people who know more than I do. I'm going to listen to the people, especially my parents, who have been told by God that they are responsible for teaching me to be like Jesus. And the attitude of wisdom and, and, and understand the beginning of wisdom is really simple. It's just this. Make it your attitude to say, I'm going to get wisdom. I'm going to make it my goal, my first goal, to say, I'm going to listen to those people who care most about me and who want something better in my life than I would have fun on Friday night and who actually want something better in my life then that the friends that I care so much about right now would like me, but that want to teach me how to be a good friend and that want to teach me how to know Jesus as my Savior. Will you make it your goal this morning to say, I want to contribute to my family's legacy by having an attitude that says, before anything else, I'm going to get wisdom by honoring my parents by honoring my grandparents, and by walking in obedience as they seek to lead me in God's word. Parents, there's another part to the house and the legacy building. You shape the worldview of your children. Children, they have to learn to listen to wisdom. But the third part is that you shouldn't provoke your children. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, clearly in this passage, the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord 
are not the same thing and do not lead to provoking children to anger. Francis Folks writes, discipline is essential in the home, but not unnecessary rules and regulations and endless petty correction by which children are discouraged. Sometimes parents provoke their children or frustrate them through selfishness. They make all kinds of unnecessary rules that are more about their own comfort and about their own impatience than they do uh, than they are about the well-being of their children. Either that or they're trying to control their children's lives rather than guiding their children's lives. And on the other hand, Parents, we can frustrate and provoke our children out of fear. We want to protect them, and we fail to realize that God hasn't put them in our care only for their protection, but he's put them in our care for their preparation. We might string the bow, we might pull it back and aim, and then we're just standing there trying to hold it in our own strength. I've got an illustration of this I want to share with you this morning. Uh, Don't worry, I didn't bring any arrows, so uh, no one will be getting shot today. Um, so you don't have to try to like move back or da- crouch down behind the pews. Those wouldn't protect you anyway. So um, that's why we're having a meeting on October 5th. Um, so uh, I-, I got this recurve bow, and this is different than what they would have had in ancient Israel. They would have probably had a, a long bow. Either way, you'll notice that there are no cams, there are no wheels, there are no pulleys. This isn't a, this isn't a compound bow that we have today. It's not a modern bow. Modern bows, you can pull them back. They have a lot of force, but once you get them pulled back, it's easy to hold them there, but not this. When you're using a recurve bow, once I pull this back, once I knock the arrow, put it on the string, and I draw, I've got to stand here and hold this. And you'll notice that the longer I stand and I hold this bow, the shakier I get because I'm running out of strength. And eventually my arm and my hand begins to waver. And when I decide I'm going to let it go, do you think the arrow is going to go where I want it to? No, because I'll have been shaking and my aim will be off. And parents, sometimes what we're trying to do with protecting our kids or raising our kids like the world teaches us to, or, or we think that we're, we're being good to our kids, uh, what we're really doing is we're, we're frustrating them and we're provoking them to anger and we are failing to trust God and the work that God has done in their lives through us. As my kids get older, I realize this challenge more and more, and through prayer and reflection, I'm trying to grow so that I'm fulfilling my role as a parent and not hindering the growth of my kids. And it's a balance. It's a balance of discipline and trust, of aiming, but also learning how to let go and trust the direction that God has set in their lives, in large part through the example of my wife and I. And If you stand there and you hold that arrow on that bow drawn longer than you should, your strength will fade, your aim will waver, and you may actually undo some of the work that you've been trying to do. And so as your children grow, and as you try to grow as a parent, you need to be prayerful and patient and humble enough to change approaches. You will discipline and you'll instruct your children as long as they're your children, but how you instruct them will change over time. And we have to be observant and we have to be flexible enough to listen to our kids. And more importantly, we have to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit as he continues to guide us in preparing our kids for eternal life with him without provoking them to anger that could not only drive them away from us, but could end up driving them away from him. My family has been blessed with a tremendous godly legacy. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with my forebears. On my dad's side, I'm a fourth generation believer. On my mom's side, I know there are at least three generations of believers. It may extend back further than that. 
where my great-great-grandfathers gave their lives to Christ. My, most of my extended family are, are still believers, and most of them are actually actively involved in serving the Lord as pastors or as Sunday school teachers, as deacons and elders in their churches in a variety of ways they serve Jesus. And this godly legacy, it didn't happen by accident. It happened because my great-great-grandfathers made a decision to serve Jesus and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was intentional. You may not have that kind of legacy in your family yet, but you can start today. If you're a parent, decide today that the Lord is going to build your house and that you're going to partner with him by instilling a worldview in your kids that's based on God's word. If you're a child, decide today to adopt an attitude that looks for wisdom and obeys your parents, knowing that God has put them in your life to bless you and to guide you. If your family isn't Christian, make the declaration that Joshua made. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If your extended family aren't believers, but your family is, make the declaration, we're going to serve the Lord. Because here's what we know as parents, time moves quickly, and kids grow up fast. There's not enough time for us to think that we're going to begin to establish a godly legacy tomorrow, because tomorrow we'll put it off to the next day. You have to start today. You may feel unprepared. Perhaps you weren't planning on having a child, or maybe you weren't planning on having another child. Maybe you, you sense keenly your own imperfections as a parent, and you see them in your children, and you're afraid that if you try to do something intentional, you'll mess it up. Can I share something with you? It would be much better for you to pick up that arrow off the ground and seek to aim it, and when you mess up, to repent before God and your children, and they'll see that, and they'll learn what it looks like to walk in repentance before the Lord, and they'll be directed to where they need to go, than for you to leave that arrow lying on the ground thinking that it's somehow magically going to direct its own life where it should go. Many of you... You may not have grown up with godly parents, and so you're saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a godly parent myself. You don't know how to, how to raise a child that way, and, and, and maybe you're afraid you're just going to pass on to them the, the same bad habits that were passed on to you. Wherever you are, parent, grandparent, one thing you can do, or one thing you cannot do, rather, is hit the pause button on your kids while you try to figure this thing out. They won't wait for you. They're going to grow up, and your actions, whether you intend them to or not, are going to influence the way that they see the world. Why not rather make a decision today? As for me and my house, to the best of my ability, with the help of God and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and when I fail, as I surely will, through repentance and through the grace of Jesus, I'm going to serve the Lord. Why not even if you're a spouse, who, you're the only one who serves Jesus in your home, make the decision today that says, even though my spouse may not serve the Lord for my part, I'm going to speak the word of God into my kids' lives. I'm going to direct them as they should go. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to tell them how good he's been to me. I'm going to share with them the joy he brings in my life, the forgiveness and the peace. I'm going to share with them what it means to follow Jesus. Why not if you're a grandparent? And even if you're, you're, your grandchildren aren't serving the Lord, maybe your children aren't serving the Lord, why not say, I'm going to do what I can 
I may not be able to raise them. I'm not there every morning when they wake up or when they go to bed, but I'm for my part when they're with me, when they have grandpa day or grandma day, I'm gonna speak the word of Jesus to them. And more than that, I'm gonna live the word of Jesus. They're gonna know in me a peace that goes beyond understanding. They're gonna know in me a joy that that maybe their parents aren't showing them. They're gonna see in me that there's somewhere they can go and there's hurt and there's pain and there's confusion and that God will lead them. Why not ranger commander? Why not girls ministry leader? Why not church? Could we not raise up the next generation and say, you know what, we have different roles in these kids' lives. We have different access and different influence. But for our part, we're going to serve the Lord and we're gonna teach children to know God's word and to live with a godly worldview. Why not leave a legacy for your family that is far better than money or a house or a car or even even a, a business? Why not leave a legacy that goes from generation to generation that teaches them there's purpose, there's meaning, and there's forgiveness? Why not start that legacy today? And so the, this morning is an opportunity to humble ourselves and through the confidence we have in the Lord to determine to have a lasting legacy. And so I'm going to ask you to respond in, a, in several different ways this morning. And, and I want, it, I want it to, uh, there to be an opportunity for you to, to take a stand, so to speak, to make a declaration as such, to say, this is going to be true in my life. As God enables me, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to ask if the congregation would stand with me. And I'm going to, I'm going to speak to several different groups and people that we've talked to this morning. And, and as you hear these things and as you sense the Lord leading you and as you would say, yeah, that's me, that's my family, I'm going to challenge you that you just come forward today. This is not you admitting some deep, dark secret or sin in your life. This is just an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to make this declaration today again in my life for my family. Maybe you're a parent and you want to today commit to raising your kids with a worldview that's based on God's word and you want to commit to say that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to commit for my part. Maybe you're a, you're a single parent or you're both believers or maybe just one of you is believers, is a believer and, and you're that believer but you for your part want to say for my part, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to teach my children to establish a worldview based not on the world but on the word of God. If that's you, if you're that family, you're that husband, that wife, that parent, would you just take a step out of your seat and come forward and we're going to get ready to pray. Maybe you've got children with you and your children, if you're a child, Maybe you're from all the way elementary school all the way up to college and, and you want to say, I want to commit to have an attitude of wisdom. I don't want to be foolish like the, the friends I so often see around me. As for, for me, I want to have this attitude. I'm going to get wisdom. I'm going to make it my priority to, to not ask what my friends think, but ask what God thinks. I want to get wisdom. If that's you, you're a young person, you say, I want the attitude that says, I'm going to get wisdom and make it my priority. You come forward and you make that declaration today. Maybe you don't have a family, but you want to commit to establishing a godly legacy in, in, your, in your extended family. Maybe you don't have your own nuclear family. Maybe you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a grandparent, and your kids are no longer at home. But you want to commit to establishing a godly legacy in your family. And for your part, whatever influence you have, whatever doors God opens, you want to use those things 
to help to influence your nieces, your nephews, your, your, your grandkids to know Jesus and to serve Him faithfully? Would you just make that declaration and come forward and say, today I want to be a part of establishing that legacy. Maybe you don't have a family at all. Maybe you don't have an extended family, but you have a church family. And so today you'd say, I don't want to be left out. I want to, I want to be a part of a legacy. And, and so you'd say, I want to be a part of, of helping the next generation at our church know Jesus. Maybe you don't know what that looks like yet, but maybe the Lord will say, you need to be a Sunday school teacher. You need to serve in super church. Why don't you go volunteer in the nursery? Maybe you'll sense the Holy Spirit saying, you know, there's youth that need to know the Lord and, and you can go and serve as a youth leader. Maybe you want to be a mentor to a college student. The Lord may be speaking to your heart this morning, even if you don't have your own family, to say, be a part of building up this house of the Lord. Be a part of saying, as for me and this house, the house that I'm a part of as a church family, we're going to serve Jesus. If that's you, you go ahead and come this morning as well. And as you come, if you're here with your family, with sons or daughters, with your spouse, grab their hand, hold each other's hands, and we're going to pray. If you're not here with your family, if you don't have a spouse with you, find another member of this body, the body of Christ, and maybe you pray together as I pray over you, okay? And let's, as a family, as a church family and as family units, let's pray and let's dedicate our lives and our legacies to the Lord. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much that you give us the beautiful, the beautiful joy of participating and raising the next generation. And Father, we feel inadequate for it in many, many ways, and yet your word tells us it's our responsibility and it's our privilege. And Lord, it says that it will even be a joy to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the family and the house you've given us through the lens you want us to see it, through your word. Father, I pray for families that are here today, and I ask that you would help moms and dads as they're making a decision. We want to serve the Lord. We want to prioritize the Word of God. We want to get it in our hearts. We want to live it out in our lives. We want to, we want to see it happening in our family. Give them grace to do it. Father, give them courage. Give them boldness. It's difficult, but give them long-suffering and patience, and help them, Lord, to be able to instill in the next generation of their family a, a legacy of your Word that extends even beyond their new clear family and impacts the world. I pray for the kids and the students who are here today and they want to know your wisdom. I pray, Father, that you'd give them an attitude of humility that would get wisdom. Give them a tenacious attitude that holds on to seek after what is true and what is right and that doesn't listen to the fleeting fads of the world and the things that are coming out of their friends' mouths or that they're reading on social media or they're seeing in, in entertainment, but they're, they're listening to wisdom that comes from your word, from the people you've placed in their lives. Help them to hold on to it, to get it, to determine today, I'm going to get wisdom. And Father, I pray that it would change their lives. I pray that their relationships would change, their friendships would change, that their relationships with their parents would improve and that they would grow. And I pray that they would sense your presence as you promised, that those who obey their parents will live long in the land. I pray that they would know the blessing of your presence as they commit to getting wisdom. Lord, I pray for those that maybe their grandparents, their aunts, uncles, and their influences of a different type. God, help them to see the open doors you give them. Give them words of wisdom to speak. Help them not to be afraid. Give them confidence. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to be able to influence their families with wisdom that may not be able to be spoken as often or as directly. But give them grace and power to be able to lead their children that are grown, their grandchildren, into a deep and lasting relationship with you. And I pray for those that maybe they don't have a family. I pray that they would be able to be a part of establishing a relationship with you for the next generation at this church. And Lord, together, 
we confess you. We, we declare today that as for me and my house, as for us in this house, this church, we're going to serve the Lord in a manner that raises up a legacy for the next generation. Not that they would speak our names, but they would speak the name of Jesus with joy and with power. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen.